Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. It takes a pandemic. Okay, you fill in the rest. For instance, it takes a pandemic for me to finally clean out my desk. Right, um, it takes a pandemic to start reading that pile of New Yorkers. Uh, it takes a pandemic for me to finally learn to fake. Well, for audiences of live performance, it takes a pandemic to cherish our actors and musicians. With our great jazz venues and theaters closed, live performance has stopped. But actors and musicians continue to create. They have to. It's who they are. For this Hunker Down podcast, I talk with these artists who perform for a living about how social distancing is affecting their work now and when this is all over. About their dedication to the art of live performance. Judy Dodd began acting on stage and film at an early age, and then she discovered her love and talent for writing one-act plays. I met this New York artist at the Alternative Theater Company in Manhattan at a staging of her play Lunatic for the Altered Minds play series. For this Hunker Down episode, we talked to Miss Dodd about her theater and film experiences and began the conversation with her family's immediate struggles with COVID-19. I want to thank Joel Bernstein for helping produce this Hunker Down podcast, and the opening music is provided by Stephen Feifke's jazz quartet playing at the gin mill. Have the air conditioning on. So I, if you hear a hum, let me know and I'll turn it off. No, it looks like you're at the cloisters. This is, um, again, yeah. thank, thank a teenage boy for uh, <laughs> downloading um, a few Yale buildings behind me. Ah, okay. But where, but where are you, Judy, right now? I'm home. You're at home. I'm home in, in Hell's Kitchen. You're at home in, in, in Hell's Kitchen, in Hell's with, Kitchen a, with, the, with Yale University behind you, where yeah. you, in fact, went to school. I did go to school there, yeah. Yeah. And I want to I want to get I want to get uh, a little bit to that because I want to go sure. back to your beginnings. But uh, let's let's begin uh, on this hunker down podcast with how are you doing in, you in the what? middle of this pandemic? Thank God I am doing great. Um, yeah. As I think Joel Bernstein may have mentioned, I had coronavirus. My whole family had coronavirus. Right. So we had a tough few months um, between taking care of everybody, which was not easy. Um, and then getting sick myself. Yeah. Um, and I have to say I was sicker than probably I've ever been in my life. Can you describe, can you describe it? Yes. It was at once. So it, it's interesting because the virus feels like, like it's, it's so new that it, it attacks your body in ways you don't expect for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I had really bad sinuses, although it was interesting. My partner had a bad cough um, and I had a fever and then I sort of dealt with that. And then I got really intense leg pain wow. and that was horrible. I couldn't sleep. And then one day the leg pain just went away out of the blue. Um, I had my eyes, one of my eyes blew up and I just 
got extreme fatigue that lasted months. I feel better now, thank God, but it it was it was a long time. And it it was it was it was diagnosed as corona. That that, that I was, was it. I was able to get tested. The rest of my family was not able to get tested because they got sick early and early and the doctor said Unless he's dying, we don't want to see him. And both and both your sons got it and your partner. Both my sons, my partner, my ex-husband got it. My partner's kids got it. Um, yeah. And it was months of, of uh, pain and anguish. and. I mean, I have to say, I was the, the, the real painful part for me was a week. After that, I was just very ti- very fatigued, very tired. It's weird, but you hear different descriptions of this and people that's right and uh even the aftermath is different for for people everybody um i actually now i stay close to my oximeter i can measure my oxygen levels which now thank god are back up right but it took a while for my oxygen levels to to get back up how how far down were they got as low as 88 yeah and that was frightening and i did my breathing exercises. I actually was in rehearsals for a play. I was directing a play over Zoom. Yeah. And I would just say to them, I got to go. I, I couldn't rehearse for more than like an hour at a time. Wow. And then I would leave rehearsal and I would go lie face down on my bed with my head hanging over the side because uh, you want to open up your lungs in the back. Yeah, I heard about um, the treatment of, of uh, people yeah. on their stomach and it puts less pressure on on right. the lungs. Well. You you looks yeah. you look good, uh, you. you sound good. I feel good. I feel I'm so happy that I survived it. I'm so grateful that nobody in my family was even in the hospital, and I'm grateful now that I mean I walk around, I wear a mask, of course, because I'm a you know good citizen and right. um, law and order kind of gal. So, but I don't really need it because, according to my doctor, and there's some differences of opinion here. She feels like we're immune now, at least for some time. We have some immunity. Right. And you're not putting off any of the virus. No, I actually got, I didn't go into stores or any public places for really a month after I tested positive. I was so careful. Um, And then I went and I got tested. I got retested after about six weeks and I tested negative and I got my antibodies tested. So I'm, I have antibodies. So, right. So you could be giving plasma now. I could. I, it, I'm not, unfortunately, not able to, to donate plasma, but I would if I could. Right, right, yeah. right. Judy, you, uh, thank you. Thank you for uh, sharing that. It's, um, sure. For those of us who are older, it's a very scary thing because though you survived, there's a good chance that I would not. It and, is very scary. And yeah. my partner is older than me. And um, I'll tell you, we were scared and we sat down in early March and made a plan about what we would do if either of us got sick. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad we did that and because it turned out we did both get sick. Who took care of whom? When he, he got sick first, I took care of him and, here. He and you contracted here. it. You got and it. And then I got sick. I may not have gotten it from him because at that point my kids had already had it. Yeah. So then when I got sick, he took care of me. My son did an amazing job. My 18-year-old son mm. took care of me, which was really, really lovely. You know, a lot of people do survive it. The, the trick is 
obesity, unfortunately, is a real contributing factor, they're finding, Mm. to mortality. Um, It's so new, and there's so many new new things we're learning about it. And you just described um, uh, conditions that I had not heard of. One of the tricks is, for my partner, it was helpful to have somebody. If the virus plays with your head, Mm -hmm. and... So it was helpful for all of us to have people taking care of each other and saying you have to drink or you have to sleep. But it's, it's a, and, and I'm sad that so many people have been alone through this. And there are a lot of people alone. Um, we, yeah. we, we, we do talk to them because we live in a, you know, Upper West Side apartment building, Windermere Chateau. And uh, there's a lot of single people here. Right. You know, and it's, um, yeah, it, it's really, really scary. I mean, you, you say it plays with your head. I didn't mean to really talk about COVID. Here I have someone uh, in front of me who's survived it. And you say it plays with your head. And, and I guess in a way more than, say, the flu, the seasonal flu plays with your head. Because it's like, you know the oh. seasonal flu and you know the process of it and you know what's right. going to happen. And But this was different. And I wonder how much of this, of, of our kind of reporting on it and this kind of constantly talking about it and how much of that is part of our psychological... I don't know. It's, it's just, it's very contagious. And I still see people, you know, online saying, oh, it's just the flu. Hmm. Oh, it's just a, it's overhyped. It's overblown. And... It's not. It's not. Yeah. I mean, you know... Yes, you will most likely survive, but you have to take it seriously. Let's talk about your uh, your work as an actor, sure. as a director, and as a playwright. I mean, you do those three things, and I just discovered now you're also a beauty consultant. I don't know if <laughs> right. we can, I don't know if we can get into that at all. But let's kind of focus on your on your theater work. Where'd you grow up, and how did you get first involved in theater? What what gave you that idea? So That's a crazy idea I, to be in theater. I actually am from, originally, I was born in Detroit, but I grew up in, in Massachusetts in a town called Framingham, which is uh, west of Boston. And my father started the Jewish Community Center in Framingham and signed me up for creative dramatics when I was seven years old with Alori Parkhill. And I loved it. Um, I loved telling stories and I loved creating characters and and it's funny how things come full circle because the first drama that I did was all self-created it was all collaborative work that we created on our own and it wasn't until I was a little older that I started doing um, scripted theater which I also of course love so I went on from there I started doing professional theater when I was maybe 13. I got my SAG card when I was 14. And um, This is all I, in your hometown? This was all in, in Framingham. Yeah. And I moved to New York after college and um, started how do you you know, get, working. How do you get your, your, uh, your card, your equity card in Framingham? Uh, I mean, how does that happen? Well, I got my equity card in New York, okay. but I got my SAG card. I did a, a movie uh-huh. called The Coming. Um, which was a horror movie set in Salem, Massachusetts. And that's how I got my SAG card. What did you play? I played Nancy. Nancy. I got, I got to scream. Ah, 
And yeah. you, you were like a young teenager at the time. I was a young teenager. I was 14. Yeah. yeah and I guess you're the one that didn't survive. They kind of dropped the thread of my character. Uh, unbelievably. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm in the first 10 minutes and then gone. So, you know, we can only guess whether Nancy makes it out. Makes it out. Side. Let's, let's, let's assume that she died yeah. a horrible death and by, right. which, which makes Nancy so much more interesting. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, and, and so you did theater there and then at that point, did, did you decide to go to Yale and I guess you went to Yale drama? No, I went, I was an undergrad. Yeah. Got my BA. Um, and I did part of the reason I went to Yale is they, at the time, had a really extraordinary um, sort of extracurricular mm-hmm. drama, um, I wouldn't say department, but they had, the you program. know, you could do show after show after show. Right. Um, and that's when I did. I, I actually majored in literature that, and um, just did lots of theater. Right. And, right. you know, wrote my papers at 2 a.m. after shows. Right. And, and it was really wonderful. Right. Can you remember a moment in your, uh, while you were in, you know, a young actor at Yale, um, I, I went to SMU and studied uh, acting at SMU. And I mean, there are certain moments that kind of stick in your mind. Uh, can you think of one uh, while oh you were gosh. there at Yale? Maybe a piece <laughs> there, that you had worked on? There are so many. I yeah. think that um, I had a tough time at Yale. Mm-hmm. in terms of theater. I had some teachers who didn't like me. Mm-hmm. And part of it was uh, my style of acting is somewhat large. You know, I always, as a director even, I like very physical theater. And Joel Bernstein, you know, always says, you come from the Yiddish theater tradition. <laughs> um, but I couldn't quite relate to some of the sort of old guard theater teachers there. And then I had Jim Simpson as a teacher. And Jim Simpson is a director in New York City. Um, And I just clicked with him. And he was the first person who said, I love your work. Mm. And I was writing and I was directing and I was acting. And I'm sure he wouldn't even remember me at this point. But I just remember doing sort of small things for him and him appreciating the kind of creativity and the physicality. That you were bringing specifically. That I was bringing. Right. Um, instead of, I mean, I think now my work can be fairly cerebral, but I like to have that physical base to everything I do. And, and he really got that and really encouraged me. And that really left a mark. Having that kind of support early on, someone saying, I, I like what you're doing, I respect what you're doing, it's so important. I know at SMU, at, um, in the uh, fine arts program there, there were certain actors that just didn't toe the line of the teachers, and they would basically be kicked out wow. because they didn't, they didn't do what the main acting teachers were telling them to do. I was a good boy, and I just... I just bit down on everything, but I think it would have been better if we had a little more freedom to, to be our creative selves. Had you always been uh, writing plays? I mean, do you see yourself as a playwright or a director or an actor? Which is first? It, 
it, it shifts around. I think for, for most of my career in the early years, for sure, an actor, number one. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved it. I loved being on stage. I loved inhabiting characters. I loved the communication with another person, that heightened sense of reality of whatever you're doing. And then things shifted for me a little bit, partly when I had kids, but partly before that. And I started really becoming more interested in directing. As I was directing, I started, actually, I hadn't, I had worked on plays on on collaborative work before, but I hadn't sat down to write my own work. And it was only as I was directing something for the, um, the Me Too plays. Some of the plays were really wonderful and some of them just weren't. And I was like, you know what? I could sit down and write a bad play too. (laughs) And I think for artists, you know, I tell my kids when I teach all the time, like give yourself permission to be bad. Because as an artist, if you're just trying to be good or perfect, forget it. You'll never get started. Right. So when I gave myself permission to write something really, really bad, that's when I sat down and started writing. And now for me, writing um, is, the, is my primary thing now. And it may change again. Yeah. But though, though you still do some acting, right? I do some acting. I see you were connected with uh, Miss, Miss Maisel. I was, a, I was a singer, actually, in that. Okay, which episode? Because um, my wife and I love two, it. Two episode four in the Catskills. Oh, one of the Catskills ones, right? I was a singer in the Catskills. Yes. Yeah, we we um, did a show with Caroline Aaron, Caroline Aaron. Uh, She's the amazing. Scene, she is totally amazing. She has her own podcast, Angst and Daisies. Uh, but yeah, she is. Uh, she's pretty. She's pretty amazing. Did you get to meet her? She was not in my scene. She was not in my scene. I was with. Um, Marin Hinkle and Tony Shalhoub and uh, Rachel Brasnahan were, I was with them. That's, and that yeah. was wonderful. That was, yeah. that was great. So, right. so even though you're getting these, these wonderful roles, you still see yourself now more as a writer, director. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about the Me Too plays, the hashtag yeah. Me Too plays. T- tell me about those. Um, that was Celine Havard's baby and um, with her alternative theater company. Came out of the Me Too movement 2018. Really such a wonderful set of plays about sexual harassment. I mean, it's really a shame that in 2018, 2019, 2020, we're really just beginning to hear those voices. I wrote a play about an incident that happened to a friend of mine maybe 20 years ago. And... You know, why had it never occurred to me to write about that before, to talk about it before? And I I think I felt that nobody was interested. So when she sort of started this conversation, it was, they were really a wonderful, wonderful group of plays that really spoke to people. It it was a series of plays. I mean, was it a number of series of them? uh... The way she does it is she does three, a series of readings eight plays in each reading, eight 10-minute plays in each evening. And then she, from that, takes eight or nine plays and puts them into one produced evening that are not readings, but are actually produced pieces. And I saw that process uh, because I was invited in by Joel Bernstein, who who, uh, brings, helps me bring together wonderful people to talk to on Hunker Down. Uh, and but that was a different series uh, now, called that Altered series Minds. Was on, um, Altered Minds that was called, and it was 
a series of plays on the topic of mental health. And it was terrific. I saw it at Thank an you. initial reading, and then I, when we went over to the alternative theater and saw a more kind of a, well, they were both staged, but the one alternative theater, there was more props and it seemed... Right, it was more produced and the lines were memorized and yeah. Right. Yeah. And you, you directed something in that. And I directed one, Phone Friend by Jonathan Josephson r- right. in that. And then one and of my, your plays was in it. My play Lunatic. Which was I thought was it. terrific. Oh, thank you so yeah. much. You had two different actresses mm-hmm. that were in it. Olivia Jampole played Tamar in the reading. And then Sharon Lesser played Tamar in the uh, production. Olivia I interviewed Olivia. I, I interviewed Olivia Jampole. I loved both versions, but the first version I thought with Olivia was especially got me, maybe because it's the first time I saw it. Why don't we talk a little bit about Lunatic? Because I think it's a, a wonderful piece you put together. And, and my question is going to be following up, is this the kind of writing you do? These kinds of realistic relationship, uh, marital problems, is this what you do? Let's talk about Lunatic. Sure. Uh, tell the story a little bit. The prompt was to write about mental health. So Lunatic is really a story about childhood depression, but it's really Tamar's story. Tamar is a mother. She's an artist, Jewish artist. And she goes in with her ex-husband, Ryan, to advocate for their son, Jacob, with the principal. And she's met with resistance by the principal, by Ryan, to seeing Jacob as being depressed. They want to see Jacob as having a blip, being normal, just having a tough time. So she, as she advocates for him, she gets more and more um, agitated yeah. until she blows up. Yeah. Well, she's, she's agitated at her husband. She's agitated at the principal of the school. Um, it seems to me the husband is trying to kind of hide what's going on. She's saying, this is my son. I love him for who he is. And you have to also, if I'm, I'm getting it right. And yeah. she gets more and more agitated as she, the mother standing up for, for the son. The father is probably doing the politically right thing uh, of, uh, get, of getting, getting, get, getting, getting him in and saying the right things. Right. And she just wouldn't accept that. And I remember the end, it's like she's sitting there in the office by herself and she goes something like, oh, she just kind of realized the kind of light bulb goes on. I really fucked up. Right. I don't know if that was the line, but that was that's the exact, feel. The line is, I, I've alienated the principal. Shit. Yeah. That's her line. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I was, it was one, it's, it's a wonderful thing when a play kind of like takes you, takes you, takes you, takes you, and you're finally fine. All of a sudden you go, oh, you're like, oh. And it's like, you just kind of turn a corner. And you didn't expect that corner. Didn't expect it because I didn't like her. I really... That's I, so interesting. I thought she was a real... I'm sorry using the word. <laughs> bitch. Yeah. You know? Right. And I thought it's like, how could she do that? Can't she see what she's doing to her son? Her husband is... Yeah, you don't like... Maybe you don't like him. You don't like the principal. But do what you need to do. And then you realize this woman just loves this kid so much. Right. And, yeah. and she's under this pressure, you know, the pressure from her ex-husband, the societal pressure, the pressure from the principal, and this sort of pressure that we have as families and parents not to talk about childhood mental health. Yeah. 
that it's, it's sort of the last taboo. You know, we can say our kids are sick. We can say our kids have COVID-19, whatever. But to talk about the anxiety, the depression, whatever that our children are really struggling with, you know, we just can't talk about it. And then then know that, yeah, go on, I'm sorry. So Ryan's saying, don't talk about it. It's not happening. And that increases this, you know, she's like a volcano that she's getting hotter and hotter and hotter until she erupts. Well, congratulations. I thought it was really great. Are these the kinds of subjects that you deal with? Because this is the only play that I saw so of yours. I'll tell you a little bit about my other work. And I guess the answer would be yes. I, the play that I wrote most recently was actually a, in the Lunatic series. It's called Fanatic. And it's about the other daughter that they have, Devorah. And it's about her struggle to reconcile her faith with sort of being a normal kid. She's 14 and she's, you know, overly devout. And um, so that's my recent work. Um, So that definitely has to do with families and um, how we deal with loss. How does faith help us deal with loss? Can it help us deal with loss? He said, he said, was about, actually takes place with two, two men. And it's about memory, how two people can remember the same event differently. And this was for the me, this was the hashtag me too that series. That was for the me too plays. Right. Instead yeah. of he said, she said, it's he said, he said. He said, he said. Yeah. It's about an actor and a director. And you see sort of an incident between them from each of their points of view. Yeah. Um, so what happened? Yeah. Right. You know. are, are you, uh, are you writing one acts now pretty much or? Yeah. Do you, yeah. I mean, I have two kids. <laughs> I have two children yeah. um, who keep me busy. And I happen to love the, the one act, 10 minute format. I think that in a way, I feel like it's like writing poetry. It forces you to really, really hone in on exactly what you're writing about. So I kind of love that. It's too bad that form is not done more. Um, I agree. To be able to write something, as you say, that's complete, like a short story. It's, an, exactly. it's a whole other way of writing and thinking. I've, I haven't done it. I'm not, an, I'm not a writer, but I would think it's a whole, but I've heard it's a different, it's a different experience writing and t- totally wor- worthy of being seen and viewed and read. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You also yeah. are a teacher at Ramaz School, which yeah. is an Orthodox, is it a high school? It's a modern Orthodox. Well, it goes... St- it goes from actually nursery to high school, but I work in the middle school. Mm-hmm. I direct the middle school musical. And you recently directed their Fiddler. Last year, we did Fiddler on the Roof. I think if the school had their way, we'd do Fiddler on the Roof every year. Yeah. Um, this year, we were working on um, Guys and Dolls. Huh. When We were three weeks away from opening when the school had to close. And the kids never got to do the show and... It's really devastating for them. Just, I can't even describe how devastating it was. Well, for this you know, Katie they're young, kids. and there's 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 next year. So I mean, right. you could you could, you <laughs> right. could bring it back. Uh, working in, um, I mean, theater is is a is an art. It's an opening to looking at life from a lot of different perspectives. When I think of an Orthodox school, I think of something that's closed down and you know, really concerned, you're shaking your head. No. So, t- so because uh, Fiddler does question faith, and right. certainly the, the, uh, the older daughter does leave, 
do you deal with that in, in a very straightforward way or do you have to hide it in some way? Uh, no, we definitely do not hide it. I mean, these are middle school kids. So there's, you know, you deal with it. We, we are very straightforward, but on their level. Yeah. But, you know, we have to talk about, well, what does it mean to leave your family? How would that feel to, to leave everything you've ever known and leave your family? How would you feel about that? And, and, and getting married to a Christian. Right. And it's a little bit beyond their comprehension. But when you put it in those terms of leaving everything you've known, how mm-hmm. does that feel? And they say, you know, sad. I would feel sad. and Or, you know, I couldn't do it. I, no way. I couldn't do it. Right. And so, um, so the actress who plays the older daughter that actually does leave, um, mm-hmm. was there any problems in, in dealing with her? Because you're dealing with very religious people. Yeah. So Ramaz is modern Orthodox. Okay. So you're actually having a pretty wide, there's a pretty wide sort of, range of observances from kids who are the children of rabbis to kids who are, you know, the parents are Israeli and they want to have Hebrew and they want to learn the basics, but maybe they're not so religious. But no, the the, ki- the, the kids are really open to it. The kids who, you know, that self-selecting, right? The kids who do theater, they want to be there. They yeah. really want to be there. So they, I, I think it was, the biggest problem I had actually was this year when we did Guys and Dolls and the word crap mm-hmm. was in there. That was, you know, that's the only thing they were like, Miss Dottie, we can't say that. We can't say that word in front of our parents. Wow. That was the biggest problem we had. How did you handle it? I said they could whisper it like this, crap. Uh, and I assured them that their parents had heard the word before. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, that's, that, 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You also are directing a reading of a new play. Is it your Strong Meds and Jewish Guilt? Yes. Which seems to be along the same kind of theme we're, we're dealing with here. Yeah, no, that's an interesting play by Logan Grace. And it's about a um, transgender 20-something who is in the hospital and sees God. Hmm. And what does it mean to them to sort of experience God and and have a resurgence of their faith. So it's a quite, it's really a lovely play. Is it going to be read so that people can hear it online? It'll or? be on Zoom. Yeah, also, it'll be on Zoom. Okay, because I know you're working uh, with a uh, series called Believability. That's correct. Series, which is right. also going to be online. Maybe you could tell us about that. Yeah, we did. Um, so I directed, it's again, three evenings, and it'll be on Zoom to keep everybody safe. The, the first one was in May, and I directed a, just a wonderful piece by Russell Nichols called Invisibility, which has to do with race and class um, and education. It was It's such a wonderful piece. So for the second series, um, there's a lot of really wonderful new plays, and I'll be directing Logan Grace's play. Which is the so, one you just, you just yeah. spoke about. But they're all about faith yeah. and what we believe and what we don't believe and how we navigate relationships with faith and other people and God and ourselves. But it's, it's not really, it's not necessarily faith from a Jewish perspective. It's Oh no, it's no, faith. no. Mine in the first uh, the first reading of the eight plays, mine was the only play that had to do with the Jewish faith. It was All right. So uh, it's very ecumenical. Very ecumenical. Okay. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. And how can we find it? You can go on Facebook. 
search believability, Instagram, search believability. All right. Um, and I, I see it's two words. It's believability, isn't it? Isn't it? I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm not sure. Okay. But it's, it's the Maybe theater it's... is the alternative theater company. And if you look, you can go, you know, to the web and look up the alternative theater company. Okay. Um, it's, it's and it'll be available when? Evening. Say it again? When will it be available? Uh, the evening will be July 12th, which is a Sunday night at 7 p.m. And I, I, it's just wonderful. It's all new, new voices, some really experienced playwrights, some new playwrights, um, wonderful actors. So you're really seeing great acting as well. And it's just such an exciting evening. Is it going to be recorded and then seen later or you just It'll, have to go up live? So the deal with the union, because of, you know, what's all union is you can see it live July 12th. And then I think we have like three or four days after that, that it can stay up on Facebook to be viewed. And then after that, we have to take it down, but it's a benefit. It's free, but if you want to make a donation, it can be made to the Actors Fund or to the Alternative Theater Company. Right. So it's very nice. We're in um, very different times now. You're a theater sure. person, pretty complete, having experienced all, kind of all areas of theater, maybe not the technical side, but... Um, I do that too. Oh, you do? Yeah, I, I imagine I be, being a, you know, working in a, in a school, you're, you're going to be doing that. To, yeah. Is, is uh, theater going to change? Are we going to get back to where we were? Or is it going to be different now? Alan, that is such a great question. I think we're all praying that Broadway and the smaller theaters are going to come back. Mm. But we are seeing already some theaters close their doors. They mm -hmm. just cannot pay their rent. I mean, people in New York are already surviving on such thin margins. So, you know, I know for me, I'm going to be the first person in a seat as soon as anything opens up on there. Um, yeah. But we, it's, it's a scary time. It's, yeah. it's just really a scary time. But, and I think, though, that I'm so determined. I mean, going back to my kids, you know, where I teach, for so many of us, theater is the reason we go to school every day or went to school. For, theater is our salvation, and we have to find a way to make it happen for our children, for ourselves. For, you know, we need the arts. The arts are not um, disposable. Yes, they're yeah, they're they're not disposable, but they're they're easily killed uh, if sure. we don't if we don't realize the importance of them. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. You said that you would read us something. Oh my gosh, I'd love to. So this is from. Um, I'm going to read you two things. The first is from my new play, which is working title is The Believer, and it's about two men who are a couple and. They've been a couple for a short time. They wake up in the middle of the night and Alexander is really having a problem. He's an Orthodox Jewish rabbi and he's in bed with his lover. And he hasn't told his congregation um, about who he really is. And he doesn't want to because he doesn't want to lose his job. So this is the end, towards the end of the play. They get in a sort of argument. Alexander says, Alexander's older. He says, I'm sorry, I haven't been entirely truthful with you. I'm sorry, I, I concede that some of my choices may have been poor. Sam says, you're a coward. Alexander says, coward? I've spent my adult life walking the narrow bridge between two worlds. Maybe that makes me a coward. 
maybe not wanting to lose something that I love, my inheritance is cowardly. Okay, I know I have work to do. But did you ever think that maybe I'm a survivor, that maybe God made me as I am, so God loves me as I am? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God loves me and that he loves you? Sam says, me? I mean, I guess. I never thought about it. I just never felt embraced by mainstream Judaism. Alexander says, well, I'm a lone soldier in God's army, and you are hereby drafted. And then I have a little piece of a poem that I did not you know, write. Th- thank, thank you for, for, for reading that. Of course. Um, sure. I, 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 must, I am Jewish, but I don't really practice at all. But, you know, it's a very weird road to, uh, to, to, to be a Jew in a secular society. And, yeah, I, I, I look forward to seeing the play. Thank um, you so yeah, much. It sounds like a real struggle that guy's having. Yeah. Yeah. It's a struggle. And it's real. And I know people who are going through that struggle of wanting to belong to something so badly, but also wanting to be true to who you are. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, Do we have a minute for me to read a little bit? Oh, no, absolutely. 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 So tell us what it is. I just, I love this poem. This is um, by Denise Froman, who is a Jewish Puerto Rican poet. And I'm just going to read the first or so stanza. I heard a woman becomes herself the first time she speaks without permission. Then, every word out of her mouth, a riot. Say beautiful and point to the map of your body. Say brave and wear your skin like a gown or a suit. Say hero and cast yourself in the lead role. When a girl pronounces her own name, there is glory. When a woman tells her own story, she lives forever. And the name of that poem is, and by... Oh, my gosh. I, th- I don't even... I know I forgot to write down the name, but it's by Denise Froman. I think it's called A Woman Becomes Herself. I'm going to have to look it up. Okay. Well, I, I think we, we, with, with that, uh, that phrasing, I think we could, we could find it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much, Judy Dodd, for um, sharing us your um, inspirations in your life and your, your health problems that you had earlier. I'm so glad you're feeling thank better you. and that every everyone is feeling better. Thank you um, so much. And I want to again thank Joel Bernstein for bringing us together. And um, I had met you once very quickly during one, I think it was the first reading. No, no, I think it was at the theater. I think it was the second. It was the second one, right. I think so, because I, I remember you were there one of the first, one of the early nights, right? One of the previews or something. Right. And I, my, my, my wife uh, came also. And we were very impressed by all the plays, but... Um, I enjoyed Lunatic. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you so much. Yes. And Joel really, um, he's a wonderful collaborator. He is such a generous spirit and um, so thoughtful. He is all that and he's real. He's absolutely real. I mean, you know what you get because he doesn't hide anything. Right. He's, he's there. That's um, right. Yeah. Joel's great. I'm, I'm, glad, I, I'm glad I met him. Again, well, thank, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Judy. Really and um, and uh, yeah, stay safe. You too. Stay safe. Okay. You too. Thank you. Thank you. All right, take care. You've been listening to the Hunker Down Podcast, conversations with actors and musicians about their lives on stage during a pandemic. If you have any questions or suggestions, please contact us at Upper West Side Radio 
at gmail.com. That's one word, Upper West Side Radio at gmail.com. <laughs>